Welcome to The Tangent. I'm Father Sam Kachuba, joined as always by Matt Sparazza. And today we are really excited to bring to you uh, Mr. Kevin O'Neill. Kevin and his wife Mary have written uh, some tremendous books available through the Sophia Institute Press. You can check them out at sophiainstitute.com. But today in particular, we're going to be talking about the Holy Mass on Earth as it is in Heaven uh, from their Building Blocks of Faith series. Kevin, welcome to The Tangent. Father Sam and Matt, thank you so much for having me. Now, welcome. What I really love with this book is the use of Legos. Uh, <laughs> the building blocks of faith series. This is this is so cool. Uh, but you're you're using Legos to to teach kids about about the faith, and so you've got it set up kind of like a graphic novel, and it gives uh, the chance for kids to see. Uh, in Lego pieces, uh, a whole setup about what the mass looks like and, and what the sacraments look like. And you're, you're really telling a story. I think it's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And, and just to, to add to that, these are not small books. These are, you know, one of them is almost 300 pages. The other one is about 240 pages. And so this, these contain, I mean, combined, I think we're over 1,500 different scenes that we have built, take, pic, taken pictures of. And, and put into the book, so uh, which which helps you understand how many scenes didn't make the book as well. <laughs> right, it's amazing. It's kind of like a big storyboard. It is. Thankfully for us, the storyboard was already written, and so what makes the mm. book so great is the fact that it's all plagiarized. It's taken straight from scripture, <laughs> stolen from the early church fathers, and brought to people today. <laughs> I like that you say stolen from the early church fathers. That's, that's great. I mean, you do properly attribute your work here. I, I, I checked, and and you've you've got good citations and everything, and you're explaining. Typically, where it all comes we from. say transmitting the faith, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, well, right. I, I love that. First of all, I didn't realize that you personally had made all of these scenes yourself. Yes, we. Uh, it, you know, the, the genesis of the entire uh, the project was we found out that we had a book that was, uh, it, it's called the Brick Bible, and it was blasphemous, and we didn't realize it. And it made it into our house like a Trojan horse. Ah. And when your kids come up to you and start asking you questions about Onan or other spots in the Bible, you know, well, Dad, did God really kill all these children? And it's like, well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. How are you interpreting this? And you go to this book, and it's like, man, they're they're poisoning the minds of children. Did Hmm. God really do, you know, in the Exodus story, what he did? Well, yes, son, but let me tell you, if I count to three, that means you do it or the punishment is going to be carried out. And so even, look, but before I count to three, let's just say, oh, maybe I count to five or six or seven or eight. And in those plagues that are occurring, maybe uh, hail and fire come on down or your livestock get diseased or I turn a river into blood, you might want to listen up a lot better. And then, of course, to and so we do these things in our book where we show the biblical stories in the context that they're supposed to be told in and not, unlike this version that was manipulative, manipulative and blasphemous. And so we ended up throwing it away. I said, kids, go get me all your Legos. We're going to make a book. i I understand typology. I understand the sacraments. Let's let's get them. And they come down with this little bin. And I thought, oh, this is all you have? 
Yeah, Dad, remember that time when you said if we didn't clean our room, whatever was on the floor was going in the garbage? You got rid of most of our Legos. <laughs> and I thought, no, no. <laughs> so it began. We started collecting a bunch of, uh, you know, the toys. We we learned how expensive those things are. Yeah. Uh, even even <laughs> used. Used, they're, they're sold like drugs by the pound and in baggies. And... <laughs> <laughs> so you're a father who keeps his word though uh you you really followed through on that that's that's pretty impressive now you mentioned knowing uh knowing typology and and some of the history behind the scriptures what's what's your background in then uh i'm a landscaper wow with a with a high school degree and that's it and but yeah uh what i chose to do when i started a landscaping company was i chose to uh uh, listen to Catholic media instead of music. And believe it or not, what I would do is I would take a Lighthouse Media CD and I would listen to it until I had it memorized. And then after I had it memorized, I would listen to it 10 more times. Wow. And I did that with every ounce of Catholic media I could find, whether it was free. Some of it I certainly had to pay for. Uh, and then in the winter, I would just read books. But thanks to the new evangelization, uh, once I really understood the master key, as Pope Benedict really calls the Eucharist and understanding the biblical roots of the Eucharist, once you have that master key, now everything else starts to make sense. I mean, I really didn't understand Our Lady until I understood the master key, the Eucharist, because this is the covenant. And so it's hard. I can understand why our Protestant brothers and sisters can't understand Mary. You can't understand the Ark unless you know what the covenant is. No ark, no covenant. No covenant, no ark. The two are inseparable. Right. And so once I, when I, when I, I just continued to uh, learn these things, I always thought it was, uh, you know, knowledge is its own reward. I never thought I would go anywhere with, with any of it. I just uh, loved the faith and I was a landscaper. You know, our, our Lord was mistaken as a landscape, uh, as a, as a gardener at right. the uh, resurrection. And so I just thought, I'm just a simple participant uh, in in my own salvation because of what Christ has done for me, and that was it. Wow! And so that all the, all that just inspired you to to step into the faith, really diving into to learning everything that you possibly could, and then from there, now you're teaching the faith and teaching it in a powerful way. Yeah, beautiful. there are two there are two things I never thought I would do. One is write a book, and the other is play with Legos. And here we are. So. <laughs> Well, as a, as a huge fan of Legos, I, I want to thank you for, for doing that. I, I grew up playing with Legos, and so when I when I saw this book as a, as a possibility, I went, this is, this is incredible. I, I love it. And actually, I was just with some friends, and their kids, after we had dinner, were really eager to show me their Legos and then to show me your book. <laughs> they, they picked it up, and they wanted to show me how they were trying to copy your, your church model. And they had set up their their own little little church. They didn't have some of the same pieces that you have, but they were really excited to just go through it all. So Thanks, it was, it was making an and, impact. And to rebuild St. John Cantus in Chicago would be no small feat. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's that's an intense project for sure. <laughs> it's a beautiful it's church, amazing. but an intense project. It also speaks to the power of Catholic media. It does. Yeah, well, and you know, and the, the real winning combination is the two. You know, Catholicism has always taught through images, and we've always taught through the Word as well. And so when you take a look and, and you can put these images and typology together, 
it really teaches to the long-term memory of children. And I always say, and people, I, I remember teaching RE and people said, oh, you can't teach children that. And I said, well, why? And they said, what you're teaching is too complicated. I said, no, it's not complicated. It's profound. You can mm -hmm. teach profound things to children and they can understand it. Kids years ago used to learn Latin. We're not teaching them that anymore. All these kids now, they're, they're becoming bilingual at a very young age. Why can't we teach them the language of the church? You've got to be kidding me. And so uh, through, through this project, we really do that. And we, we, we show this in both books. And this is one of the things I've always kicked off every single RE class. I beat things like a drum when I teach children. I just, it, this, we can go over one thing the entire day, but you're going to leave here and you're going to understand it. I know I just did it the other day with my, with uh, a first communion prep class. And, and mm. I said, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. And, they, and I said, what's Bethlehem mean? I forgot. Okay. What's Bethlehem mean? I forget. House of bread. Oh, house of bread. Okay. And I just did that for the entire day. By the end of the day, every kid left that class knowing what Bethlehem meant house of bread. The bread of life was born in the house of bread. And so, uh, and the other thing I teach at the beginning of every single class is in both of these books. And that is, we show how sin comes into the world the same way it leaves. And so if anybody listening can imagine two pages side by side, seeing how sin comes into the world, God walks with man. We see him in a garden, the garden of Eden. We see a man and a woman, Adam and Eve at a tree. They take the fruit from the tree, they eat it, and sin and death enter in. Well, sin leaves the world the same way. Jesus, who is God, walks with man. We see him in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. We see a man and a woman, our Lord and our Lady, at a tree, the cross. But this time, the fruit is put back on the tree, and that's scriptural. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, and we have to eat from the fruit of that tree, which is the Eucharist taken from the tree of life so that sin and death can leave the world. And if that's not enough for people... When they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, an angel was stationed in the east with a fiery sword drawn so they couldn't re-enter. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when sin is leaving the world, Christ tells Peter, sheath your sword. In one garden, the sword is drawn. In the next garden, the sword is sheathed. And when they were kicked out of Eden, the ground was cursed with thorns. And when our blessed Savior left the Garden of Gethsemane, he took our curse and crowned himself with it. Now, mm. Don't tell me kids can't learn this. They see our Lord with thorns on his head every time they go to Mass. What they need to know is why those thorns are there, because they have questions. Yeah. I, I love that you're you're doing that catechesis through story. And it's through the story, of course, of Scripture, the story of our salvation. And as you look at that story of salvation, to let the kids in on the secret— because just like you said, when they go to Mass, they see the image of the crucifix. They see the crown of thorns. Well, they're also hearing the story, but so often when they hear the story at Mass, that story of Scripture is, is a little bit shrouded. There's a, a part of that salvation history that they don't fully understand. And when you can teach them how each of these symbols that they see and that they've got the visual cue for, when you can teach them how that connects deeply to the story, so then they're listening more carefully to the story, then listening to the to the story they make the connection to the thing that they see and making the connection to the thing that they see they understand more deeply the the story that they heard it's just this beautiful pattern and and beautiful way of teaching i love it thank you yeah and the fun too is it's so easy i mean our book on the sacraments is loaded with so much typology because the sacraments are loaded 
with typology. I mean, God calls his shots all throughout creation. And that's the beauty of it, is that our Lord didn't just show up, as Bishop Fulton Sheen says, proclaiming to be God. No, he didn't show up unannounced. He showed up pre-announced, just as a king would be, yeah. you know? And so he goes into this beautiful, uh, eloquent, uh, theatrical dialogue, just as Bishop only Bishop Fulton Sheen can do. But the king was announced. And our Catholic faith shows this more than anything else out there. I mean, look, in the sacraments book, you know, people always, where's confession in the Bible? Well, in in the book of Genesis, and, and in the Bible, God only breathes on his people two times, beginning in the book of Genesis, when he breathes life into Adam. Adam comes alive, Adam sins, and death enters into the world. After the resurrection, our Lord appears to his disciples, and he breathes on them and says, go and forgive sins. Whosoever sins you forgive are forgiven and retained are retained. And so that breath is breathed back into us through the remission of sin. Here's Adam, has the breath, sins, and death enters the world. Here's Christ, gets rid of sin, gives them the breath, and we have life again. All of the sacraments are loaded with this biblical typology from baptism all the way to uh, well, all of them, all seven. Now, there's another important piece to this, which is sort of the genesis of the of the project. Finding a book that had gotten into your own house and your kids having questions that inspired you to teach your own children. First and foremost, let's let's teach our kids in the house. So, talk to me a little bit about the domestic church and and how that has informed the way that you look at your mission in the church at large, because to, to really take on that domestic church and to, to take responsibility for teaching the faith to your children, I think is such an important thing. And so often parents don't feel well equipped to hand on the faith to their children. That's, uh, that's the million dollar question. I, I, I felt so blessed to know, again, like I said, knowledge is its own reward. And you teach your children that and to see my kids understand theological principles because they faith comes through hearing uh but then see other you know children at a sixth seventh grade level who genuinely have a love for christ but it their their knowledge is as good as a coloring book hmm. and i felt like that was just always uh kind of a tragedy i also noticed that a lot of the the uh, materials that we had to transmit the faith, a lot of the homework that the kids would get was so surface level. It was, I mean, just imagine staring at a pond your entire life and never knowing there are fish under there or that those are living waters. Yeah. There is so much under that water to explore, but we're just staring at, at the waves and one day they're a little bit bigger than they were the day before or vice versa. And so, when the idea came along, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to take what people call adult theology and teach it to children because it's typology. We're not teaching Greek. We're not teaching Hebrew. And and the children can learn it. Oh, and by the way, if you did want to teach that, your children could learn that too. <laughs> <laughs> They're definitely capable of learning it. And I, that's another important piece that you're bringing in, the capacity of children to learn and understand. Um, how do we help people realize that 
our kids are actually incredibly capable of, of theological reasoning, of entering into mystery, of understanding things that are profound, even though they might not understand it at an adult level, they can understand it. How, how do we help them? How do we help people understand that, that kids with that capacity to understand, um, yeah, are, are then capable the, of even more? You know, it's always been there that the trivium of, of learning, the first part of it is where you memorize and then the second part is where you really learn. And then the third is when you transmit it. And so there's a very uncomfortable stage that a lot of parents uh, go through and their kid is actually beginning to argue and they don't like that. But that there's a difference we need to get back to, which is understanding there's a difference between arguing and fighting. And if your authority is not threatened as a parent, you're still in the argument. And that's a great thing for your for your children to <laughs> You know, but but it becomes uncomfortable because we have forgotten these these things. And also they they're learning, but they don't know how to transmit it yet. And so it's a very, very uncomfortable stage. Well, in that stage, when they're learning in the junior high years, that is absolutely pivotal. Flood them with information. They're learning it, but they don't know how to transmit it yet and and give it to them. Mm. Open the fire hose and tell them to open their mouth. Do you think <laughs> they can take it? And that's the beauty of of our faith. It really is. Do you think that children uh, learn easier? Like, for example, if you gave this book to an adult and to a child, the child would pick it up quicker because they've got that childlike innocence. You know, like there's a, there's a built in skepticism in adults in our you know Western culture. You know, so giving it to a child who might not have that built-in skepticism yet, they might they might be more willing to see the connections. I think if you were to, I, I think the fun of this is that families can learn together. I've not met uh, a single adult who has read it to their child and said, "Oh, I already knew all of that." There's there's just mm. no way. There's so much there's so much in there, and there's so much to the faith, and and so, uh, but I think what makes it more unique for the child is the fact that it has that. Uh, repetitive nature to it, where the kid will go back and pick it up to either look at the pictures, and then when you look at the pictures, you can't help but read the words. And then when you do right. that, you're going to start, you know, so they're going to be exposed to it over and over, where an adult might read it once through and be like, that was that was great. Now it's just a reference guide for them. Right. <laughs> and so, right. uh, but for the child, this is, this plays upon their their imagination. It plays upon their childhood. And then to bring it into to the reality of Scripture, to understand and to grow into what the church is trying to tell us, uh, not only benefits them as a child, but then in their years as they enter into the mysteries of our of our sacred church, mm-hmm. it it lets them go. Man, the water is deep, and I can I I can only I know what's under the water up to five feet, but I have no clue what else is lurking underneath, and it's all amazing. Right. And it's, it's, it's awesome that this book, it is playful and it's intentionally playful as well, but because it is playful, kids will be interested. You know, I, like, like I, I know we were, you know, comparing the adults and kids, but to focus in on the kids, uh, I think one of the greatest tricks the devil has ever played is, is telling, uh, humans that the faith is boring. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this this totally just, you know, destroys that concept 
because it is so interesting on on you know the two levels, both in the actual content of scripture, but also in you know I think you could call it an art form, you know, in the in the photos, you know, and in the building of these you know these scenes. You know, it 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 is uh, routine, and it's routine to to give us strength. It's just as routine as uh, weightlifting would be, or exercise would be, and it's routine so that we can enjoy life to the fullest when even when we're outside of the routine and so you know look if you go on a hike there are plenty of times on a hike where it it you just you you forget to take it all in and the hike becomes mundane mm-hmm. and so we show in this though the the real journey that we're on we show the reality that we're participating in you know in the old testament uh God didn't just tell Moses to say, let my people go. He told him to say, let my people go so that they may worship me. And then he leads them into the wilderness and he tells them how to build the tent of worship, how to deploy the priesthood, how to ordain priests, what kind of oils to use to ordain priests, what kind of vestments to use, how to build the altar, what kind of linens to use. I mean, the Catholic goes, oh my gosh, that's a liturgy. God taught them a liturgy? Are you kidding? There's no, where's the band? And then, (laughs) and then he tells them what kind of candles to use, what kind of incense to use. And then he, he tells them how to build the tabernacle and God who dwells upon the mountain then places himself within the tabernacle, overshadowing it as cloud by day and fire by night. And the Catholic goes, whoa, just fulfill that with one simple thing. Christ crucified on the mountain now dwells within our tabernacle. And the tabernacle had always been the meeting place between God and his people. Well, fulfill that. It's now the joining, the union between God and his people. And when they can see that, you know, all of these things happen on the mountain. And Father, when you ascend into the sanctuary, those steps, that's the mountain you're walking up. And so, When we see Moses go up the mountain and he comes down with the Ten Commandments, which were the word of God, the law of God, written with the finger of God, and it was the covenant of God. And now when the priest ascends the holy mountain, he comes down with the Eucharist, which is the law fulfilled. It is the word made flesh. And what's so neat is the Old Testament and the New Testament have a verse that volleys back and forth. The Old Testament says, I will make a covenant with my people. I will put it on their hearts and write it on their minds. And then St. Paul says it best, this new covenant, not written on tablets of stone, but written on the fleshy tablets of their hearts. And so the same finger of God that wrote the law into the tablets now comes into us and writes the law in our hearts. Hmm. And what is every single Eucharistic miracle? They're all heart tissue. And so it's like we get a a heart transplant. It's not I who live, but he who lives in me. And so we are grafted back into the family of God. And it's just a beautiful, amazing thing that we get to participate in every time we're at the Mass. And so when children can see this and see, and even to understand the logic of it, when they go through those dry spells, oh, well, you know, I'm having a tough time, kind of, I'm just in a dry funk. Oh, well, what about the Eucharistic miracles? What about this? It just triangulates them and keeps them right where they're supposed to be. Yeah. You know, I, I noticed that you've, you've got a few references in your Building Blocks of Faith series, references to different saints. So there's kind of appointing them towards someone 
a, a real person who, in their history who, who lived out the faith and, and who did these things. And as you're talking about Eucharistic miracles that all come from heart tissue, you've got a, you've got a, a little thing in here about Blessed Carlo Acutis, uh, who, of course, famously constructed a, a website cataloging and detailing all of the Eucharistic miracles that, that are known. Uh, I think when, when you give kids that extra piece, it's not just a, a story from the distant, distant, distant past, but there are people who have engaged this story throughout the entirety of history. Here are a few of those people who you can look at. You're introducing them not only to the story of salvation, but to the story of the saints who have lived out that gift of salvation. That's right. And, and what drew... Carlos Acutison, it was the the Eucharist. And where is the Eucharist brought to us? The Mass. And so, uh, and yeah, how relatable is he to these these children today? I mean, who, what what are they overindulging in? Video games. What are adults overindulging in? Screen time. We're we're all uh, kind of falling prey in in certain ways. I know uh, when I'm at work, you know, I don't I I have no screen time. And I come home and I'm like, oh, what a, what a great day. I wasn't on my phone at all. And then my day's off. I sit there and I think, oh, what am I doing with this? You know, yeah. throw, it, throw it across the room. But the mass is to be our focus. And he made sure that in his life, he got rid of that and put the focus back on, on God. This, these things aren't bad in and of themselves. It's how we use them like anything else. All, all through moderation. Yeah, I, I'm looking at, at the way that we teach the faith and thinking about the transcendentals, right? The good, the true, the beautiful, and as our bishop here in the diocese of Bridgeport likes to likes to remind us, the one that the good, the true, and the beautiful all point to the one, the one who is God. Uh, but also these catechetical uh, transcendental principles. Uh, are, are all united very much. And as soon as you engage the good, you're going to start seeing the beautiful. As soon as you engage the beautiful, you're going to be led to the true. And all of that leads you, of course, into, into the oneness of, of God and, and into that, that full communion that we're, that we're called to. But then I think kind of historically, and as, as you're outlining uh, in, in the Old Testament, the way that God reveals himself and then gives instruction to the people, so first they have to hand on the story. This is what we were told to do. But simultaneously, we see them immediately doing it. As soon as Moses receives the word about how the priest is to be consecrated and, and how the priest is to be vested, they do it. Right away, they make those vestments. Right away, they clothe them in this way and they begin to do the thing. But then they have to continue telling the story. So the first thing is they learn the story and then they put it into action. Well, Maybe you can tell us just a little bit about, did you do all of the constructing of these Lego sets in the Building Blocks of Faith series yourself, or did, did the kids get involved too? Because part of this, I'm thinking, as I mentioned to you before, when I was at my friend's house and their kids not only had your books uh, from Sophia Institute Press at sophiainstitute.com, uh, the Building Blocks of Faith series, we're just going to throw that in there every once in a while <laughs> to remind people where they can find Shameless books. Shameless plug. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's worth it. But the... Um, they, they not only wanted to, to show me the books that they had and the Legos that they had, but then they were telling me the story of their Legos and, and of what they had built. So did you involve the kids in the storytelling, in the building, in the explanation? You know, Father, uh, yes. In fact, as far as building is concerned, I'm the least talented person here. <laughs> so 
Uh, what end us, uh, usually ends up happening is uh, during the building process, I am kicked to the organizational table and I sort and that's what I do. Okay. And nobody here thinks I'm important to the project after I'm done writing it. I am absolutely on the low end of the totem pole here. <laughs> and so uh, my son, who is 16, he is uh, he is meticulous. If If it weren't for him. Uh, different character, the same character would have different faces throughout the book. He makes sure that we bring the nope. That is Saint John right there. Don't you dare touch Saint John. Or who touched Saint John? Where is he? <laughs> and of course, we have the Saint Anthony statue above us as we pray. We, we need to invoke Saint Anthony constantly. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, it's it's always incredible. And in in each book that we've done. Uh, how appropriate each time we've lost the ark and so we've really <laughs> we've had to go back. how appropriate we just <laughs> lost the ark again great and so uh no and my wife is super meticulous and uh able to her and liam what they do on the scenes is incredible and then the other kids you know they always want to get involved too uh i can see some of them with artistic talents and then others that are just they're they're going to be sorters as well. <laughs> so <laughs> they're right there with you sorting them. That's great. But you know the short ones that are two two feet tall, they're closer to the floor, so they help out more than they know to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's got to awesome. be a workplace hazard of of those Lego pieces just on the on the ground. And I mean, do you wear work boots while you're while you're putting these together just as a safety precaution? I mean, what does OSHA say about all this? <laughs> <laughs> we believe suffering has advanced our projects. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. Um, well, then to, to another point of, of how children learn and, and really how all of us can learn the the faith, but just learn lessons in general more, more deeply is, is through play. Uh, you know, Joseph Pieper talks about this in, in Leisure, the Basis of Culture. He talks about the importance of, of play and, and how play is instructive, play is restorative, play helps us to really become truly human. And I think what you're doing here in the Holy Mass on earth as it is in heaven and presenting the building blocks of faith as, as a way for, for kids to learn the faith, so they're seeing a toy that they use. They play with Legos. Uh, but then you're also inviting them to play. And uh, think about the Lego movie, right? And the whole point of the Lego movie is to be creative and not to be overly confined by the, the different sets that you're given. And clearly you have not been overly confined by the sets of Legos that you've been given. You have, you have used them as creatively as possible to, to make things here. Um, but that, I think the, uh, I don't know, the, the idea of engaging the creativity of children to make what they've heard about. To, all right, now I want you to sit down and, and make what we just talked. We just talked about the Ark of the Covenant, or we just, we just talked about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can you build that for me in Legos? Um, maybe too often we, we sit down and we give the kids a picture to color. So in catechesis, here, color this picture. So they, they heard the story, but now the picture's already done for them. All they have to do is color it in. There's, there's not any, of any additional creativity. But ask them to draw the picture and tell the story through, through the picture that they've drawn. And now they're, they're getting into something. But Legos, you're inviting them to play. Not only to, uh, not only to make the thing, but now to, to play and to really dive in more deeply. Uh, do your you kids know, play as they do this? <laughs> they, we, they do. 
we have, uh, uh, you know, it's it's very interesting. Some of them really take to the toys. Others, uh, not so much. We have a table with a lot, with probably more Legos than most people own. And those are the Legos they're allowed to play with. And then we have our kind of our studio, uh, which which takes up a nice section of our of our uh, family room. And so we just kind of we just balance it with with life. And and uh, so the kids play with it constantly. I think what's interesting, though, is the challenging of ideas. That is where I do come in when my son's building something. I'm like, well, look, um, you know, the garden looked like this. Or let's let's pull up some images of, of Catholic art and let's get as close to that as we possibly can with these toys. Uh, and so there's there is a kind of a a fun challenge in it. And owning a landscaping company my entire you know adult life, when when uh, the challenge is always things break, you have to fix them. If you can't fix mm-hmm. them, you have to pay somebody to fix it. And so uh, this is different. This is a much more calming approach in certain ways until everything gets unorganized and then that's my fault because I'm supposed to be organizing. <laughs> okay. But you know, what's neat in going to play in, in the mind of a child, I remember when we first, before the first book even came out and speaking of the ark, you know, we, uh, in our, in our book, we show how our lady is the ark of the new covenant. And we have all this typology in there, the old ark, was overshadowed, Mary was overshadowed. The old ark traveled to the hill country of Judea, Mary traveled to the hill country of Judea. David leapt for joy in the presence of the ark. John the Baptist leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb. And there's there's a lot more. I'm skipping over a ton. In fact, though, when the old ark left the tent of worship in the Old Testament, it was covered with a blue veil. The Catholic goes, oh, I get it. You know, I don't have to finish that thought for the Catholic. And so, uh, we went to, to Thanksgiving Mass with a friend of ours and his family, and they're a military family. And, it's, it, and before we went, we were at their house. on, on uh, We were invited down there for Thanksgiving. And so we were going through the book that was still incomplete. We put it up on the TV, and we showed all these. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during Mass, it was, of course, the, the reading where she went to the hill country of Judea. Well, all we could think of to show that, how do you, how do you illustrate, you know, the old ark went to the hill country of Judea. Mary to, went to the hill country of Judea. So we made a stupid little sign that just says, welcome to the hill country of Judea. <laughs> like what you would see driving into your town. Right? <laughs> and, so, uh, and then, of course, Mary, we left the images the same, the sign the same, so that it could teach to the memory of the child. And as Mary's going to the hill country of Judea, welcome to the hill country of Judea. Well, this is a military family. And that reading was that morning. And this, his son turns around and he goes, Welcome to the hill country of Judea. You know, and I'm like, ah, oh, thanks be to God. Look at that. He learned yeah. that today. And now whenever he hears that, he knows that our, our our blessed mother is the ark, the perfect and pure vessel to bring salvation to the people of God. And yeah. so, I mean, it's just amazing, really, the typology that the, the faith gives us. I mean, look, God calls his shots all throughout Scripture. Uh in the book on the Mass, we show how, look, it was on Friday in the first creation story when Eve was pulled from the side of Adam, brought forth from the side of Adam. And it was on Good Friday when our blessed Savior, the church, was brought forth from his side. 
And then it was on Saturday in the first creation story. What did God do? He rested. Well, because he was tired? He was all-powerful all the time except for then? No. He's calling his shots. And it's on Holy Saturday when our blessed Savior is, is in the tomb. And so then you have Adam, who is the gardener. And what is Christ mistaken as at the tomb by Mary Magdalene, who knew him quite well? A gardener. gardener. Yeah. And you have this new creation that is kicking off for us to participate in. And you see, our journey is really no different than, than the, uh, the Israelites escaped from Egypt. Hmm. They are born again through the water, a new nation. We're born again through baptism. They are led by the priesthood. We're led by the priesthood. They're sustained by the manna. We are sustained by the manna, the Eucharist. And we are led into battle with the Ark and the Covenant, just as they were led into battle with the Ark and the Covenant. And it's all to get to the promised land. It doesn't end at the promised land. The true promised land is heaven. But God shows, he pulls back the curtain a little bit and shows us how we are to journey to get to heaven. And even to take it a little further, this is a neat part that we show in the book. Uh, You know, you have Moses, who is... Uh, in Deuteronomy, God told Moses he'd raise up a prophet just like him. That prophet is Christ. When when Moses was born, they knew a prophet was among them because of a sign in the sky. Same with Christ. When Moses was born, Pharaoh sent out an edict to have the children killed to kill the prophet among them. Herod did the same thing. Moses was put on a raft and sent into the heart of Egypt to escape that. The angel told the Holy Family, get up, go to Egypt. You have Moses, who's the prince of Egypt, steps out of his kingdom to be with his people, to lead him out of slavery through a Passover meal. Christ, who is the prince of peace, steps out of his kingdom to be with his people, to lead him out of the slavery of sin through fulfilling the Passover meal. And so fast forward, you know, you have Moses teach, well, you have God instructing Moses on how to worship, and he teaches them this liturgy. Well, now in the New Testament, Jesus, who is God, they, they only approach him one time and ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And guess what? It's right after the 72 come back is when they do it. And Moses was the main guy, had his inner circle of three, Aaron and his sons, the 12 and the 72. Christ, main guy, Peter, James, and John, inner circle of three, 12 and the 72. And it's shortly after the 72 come back, they ask him, mm. teach us how to pray. And he teaches them the Our Father. Both Matthew and Luke's account of the Our Father is understood based on their liturgical tradition. And when you look at the Our Father and you look at the Mass, the perfect prayer and the perfect sacrifice, the way they line up is so incredible. Hmm. The Our Father begins by invoking God's name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Mass, we begin by invoking God's name. After we invoke God's name in the Our Father, heaven and earth come together. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven and earth come together in the sacrifice of the Mass. After heaven and earth come together in the Our Father, the next verse is, Give us this day our super substantial bread, the Epiusius. St. Jerome translated it, super substantial bread. There is no other word like this in the Scripture. I always and love so, that that's the that that's the word super substantial instead of daily 
it, it's true. It's daily and it, it needs to be that daily sustenance, but super substantial gives us that, that sense of something so much bigger. And yeah, I, I wish something, dog. yeah, exactly. It's a little difficult to say though, when you're chanting it, you know, to, to chant <laughs> daily bread is, is much easier than to, or, you know, uh, quotidianum is, is easier than, than super substantialum, I guess, you know, <laughs> right. But then in mass after heaven and earth come together, we are given that super substantial bread. Mm. And and the Our Father, after we receive it, what what's the next line? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Christ said this is for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. And then we have the responsibility to be Christ to the world and forgive others. And then the final is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The mass literally means to send. Okay, get back on your journey. You've been sustained with the manna. Now get out there. You're complaining about a pagan world, are you? Really? Oh, did you talk to anybody about Jesus this week? Or did you just tell them about the Republican Party? I mean, seriously, we've got yeah, to get yeah, back yeah. to promoting Christ, and then everything else will fall in line. Our politics right and, and the world is, you know, we're... we're the, the tail is wagging the dog right now, and we, we can't allow that. we got to get back to Christ. We're in a post-Christian world. Thanks be to God. So we, we've got work to do. Yeah. As you're getting into the typology, uh, I think it's, it's such a beautiful way to teach the faith. Um, and I'm looking through your book and just seeing how you have woven in these biblical references. So you're going from the Mass to these biblical references, even from, from the Old Testament, not only what Jesus does and teaches, but, but going all the way into the Old Testament so that you can bring in those typological images. Um, how do you help kids keep the timeline? If, because those, those types that appear in Scripture are so scattered historically, um, how do we help to keep the timeline together so that the kids can understand this is what happened at this time and this is how we're doing it now, or this is this is why we do it this way now? You know, sometimes I think the easiest way to solve a puzzle, if you're stuck and you're trying to do it the right way, is just solve it backwards. So your exp- our experience currently is the mass. And so let's solve the puzzle backwards because that's our true experience that we participate in. Now, at a certain point, sure, children can learn Genesis, Exodus, you know, uh, they can go into Leviticus even if they want to. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, they, they, and, and then that timeline through repetition will begin to develop for them like a Polaroid. But I would say at this stage in their life, that's not as important as understanding that the experience that they're participating in is drawing from that. And so, uh, you know, just uh, that's where I would kind of leave it. Work from where they are backwards and and let it develop. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I like that. Um, Any advice that you would give to parents who are teaching the faith to their children or to to catechists or or teachers? Uh, Matt is a, a high school religion teacher. Uh, advice you'd give for for passing on the faith for for educating in that way my advice is stop moving forward make sure that they know what you're teaching and honestly i think that we need to stop creating lesson plans for a semester 
in my opinion, I think a lesson plan should be three good lesson plans repeated all throughout over and over and over again so that when the kids leave the class, they have tangibles. Mm. And we just move on and we're like, well, I taught you that. Well, I taught you. Well, I didn't learn it. (laughs) (laughs) Who wins the argument, right? The person that says, well, I taught you that versus the, well, I didn't learn it. You know, that's the trump card. If you didn't learn it, it, when I'm working on equipment, I always say, if I can't find a tool, I don't own it, even though I might have three of them. I can't find the tool. I don't own it. And so you got to kind of keep certain things in order, which is very difficult to do. It's easy to just throw it the tool on down. But the fact of the matter is, is that we need to beat the drum. That way they can have the master key and start plugging it in. Because our faith is really a lot like a crossword puzzle, where if you go through a crossword puzzle, the first time through, you might get 10 answers and you write it in and they fit right there. And you don't have a clue what the other answers are, but then you read it again, and now you have clues. And you can plug in 17 down now because you have 13 across or what, however the, the, the numbers work. And then all of a sudden, towards the end of it, you go, wow, I completed the entire crossword puzzle. And at the beginning, you only knew 10 answers. And that's the way our faith really works. We have to give them the plugins, and they have to be able to take that with them. So parents... Stop moving forward. Quiz your What does Bethlehem mean? Do it for an entire day. And then every other day, revisit it and make sure that it's stuck because once it's there, it's there. It's just like your old phone number. I remember my phone number growing up. I do too. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, so teach to that. We know how we learn. We know how children learn. So ask yourself, what do I want my kids to learn? Do I want them to learn about the Eucharist? Then pick five things about the Eucharist and drill it, drill it, drill it, and don't move on until those five things are stuck. Mm. Learn five things about Our Lady as the Ark. Drill it, drill it, drill it, and don't leave until they're stuck. And I would say that adults need to get it stuck in them too. And that's what I did with the new evangelization. I took the CDs and I memorized them, memorized them, memorized them. And Bishop Fulton Sheen, in one of his, two of his talks, it was kind of the model for that. Number one, he said he was giving a speech one time and a lady, and, and he was reading it off of paper and a lady came up to him and said, well, if it's not important enough for you to memorize, why should I? Hmm. And so then from that moment on, he threw everything away but a chalkboard. <laughs> and then... <laughs> He gives another, he goes into a joke, and I'm going to totally butcher it, but he speaks about like an astrophysicist who has a limo driver who takes him to all these talks, world-renowned astrophysicist. And and his limo driver says, you know, I've heard your talk so many times, I can give it just as well as you can. And and the astrophysicist says, oh, okay, well, do it. So the limo driver gets up there at this big college campus, gives the talk to all the colleagues as well as new students nails it. Everybody starts clapping, standing ovation. And then somebody comes up and and asks a question and they say, you know, if we collide particles at this speed and this, they get into a big math equation. And he looks at the guy and he says, you know, what a stupid question. What a stupid, stupid question. And to show you how stupid it is, I'm going to have my limo driver answer this for you. (laughs) And so, so that's, I'm just the limo driver and we have to learn that way. Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, I've got one more question for you. Um, the Building Blocks of Faith series. 
by Kevin and Mary O'Neill, available through the Sophia Institute Press at sophiainstitute.com. Um, Kevin, you've been really generous with your time and, and uh, letting us talk with you and, and some powerful, powerful things here about typology, handing on the faith. Um, it's fantastic. One of the questions that I, I really want to ask any of our guests who come on the tangent is um, as a as a husband, as a father, as a, a Catholic man who's who's working and who's creating the domestic church in his own home and trying to hand on the faith, not only to your own children, but in a, in a much broader context to, to kids all over the world, all over the at least the English speaking world. I don't know if, you, if your books have been translated into any other languages yet, um, but they probably should be because I think this is a, a great way to, to hand on the message. Um, what do you want your priests to know, to hear, to do, uh, to support that work of the domestic church to to continue handing on the faith well? And that's a that's loaded. Uh, <laughs> our family is is so blessed uh, to attend a parish that's run by the Order of Saint John Cantius. And for anybody that doesn't know who they are, they do the. Uh, you know, they do a Latin mass, but they also do Novus Ordo high masses. And it's it, to see the liturgy uh, in the way that the Second Vatican Council prescribed is so edifying for myself and for my parish. And what I love when we went there, uh, to be quite honest, I looked at my wife and I said, wow, we're at a parish that doesn't need us. And that's that's awesome. And I, I wish that for everybody. I know so many of these parishes, oh, well, I'm the RCIA teacher. I'm this, I'm that. I go to my parish and I'm a sinner and I go to confession and uh, and I'm just so blessed with, with what they do. So what, what I think, though, is that forget being the RCIA teacher, forget being involved in RE. You know what? I think the onus needs to be back on, on laity. I think we need reverent liturgy because it's so important. But also on us, we can't complain about, well, within certain certain realms, we can't complain about bad liturgy if, you know what, when we go out to eat, if we're not making the sign of, Christ, the, sign of the cross in public, hmm. if we're not praying a rosary with our family, uh, as we should, when our, our sins as laity are so invisible, but I think at the same time, you know, Father, you, you get to hear confessions, and so we've all got, we've all got some work to do. We need to bring our prayer life and our and everything back into the public square because mm -hmm. it's a hurting world and there are so many people that need to be brought to Christ, be brought to church, be brought to confession, and it's not as hard to do as, as so many people think. Wow. Great. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I blame laity. In this world of blame, I blame the laity. <laughs> well, I... Uh... I, I like to think that we're all in this together. We're, on, we're trying to be on the same team, but, but so often we forget that we're on the same team. And mm -hmm. I think priests sometimes end up pulling in one direction, laity in another direction. And sometimes if, if the priests were listening to what their people were, were asking for and saying, uh, they would respond better. Sometimes if, the, if lay people could, could see what their priests are trying to do and, and understand that, they would respond better. Um, but to, well, I think recognizing can... that we're on the same team is, is so yeah. huge. And then that we, we stand and you're books do a beautiful job of, of showing us that we stand in a historical line and in a biblical line. And if we, if we understand the story, if we understand the typology, we're going to be able to work together in a much more profound way. And even look at St. Catherine of, of Siena, and everybody seems to think she rebuked the Pope in this unbelievably 
belligerent way. No, she was like a Simon. I mean, she, Holy Father, let's get you back to Rome. If you need my shoulder, I'll carry you. If right. you, you know, I mean, she, if she was writing that letter today, she'd be like, I will find donors to get you a private jet. Let me help you. <laughs> yeah. And so help your help. Again, like you said, work together. Let's let's pull the rope in the same direction. And and, you know, we, we need to do it in a charitable way as well. We are church militants. So we get our orders from the top down. We're not church militia. We don't, we, you know, my favorite scripture, one of my favorite scripture verse, verses is not pick up your pitchfork and follow me. Unfortunately, there's a cross we're supposed to pick up. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes it's ours and sometimes, uh, you know, it's the other person's. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you very, very much for, for your time today, uh, for being with us here on The Tangent. Again, uh, the Building Blocks of Faith series, The Holy Mass on Earth as it is in Heaven by Kevin and Mary O'Neill is available through Sophia Institute Press at sophiainstitute.com. Uh, Kevin, really, thank you so much for, for blessing our listeners with, with your presence and, and with your work. Uh, I love this work that you're doing to, to hand on the faith through Scripture, huh. through Legos, <laughs> through, through everything else that you're doing. Thank you so much. Father Sam and yes, Matt, thank, thank you. you so much. All right. This is uh, our, our, the end of our episode of The Tangent. Join us next time. God bless you.